Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This morning we're going to be in verses 5 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 2. Sufficiency of Christ, that's what we're looking at. We're going through the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, God's character, the offense of sin, sufficiency of Christ today. Next week will be personal, personal response, eternal urgency, and then life transformation. Today we're on S, sufficiency of Christ. I think we can all agree uh, that the, the right tool for the job is important, right? We, we want to have the, 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 the proper, uh, well, maybe it's the proper gun. That is, that's called a mini gun. It shoots between 2,000 and 6,000 rounds per minute. That's a lot. Uh, it has an electric motor. You, you pull the trigger, and that motor turns, like, like a Gatling gun is what it does, except a lot faster. Turns the motor, shoots out some nice-sized rounds, 2,000 to 6,000 per, per minute. Uh, if you, I know I always refer to movies that probably neither y'all nor I should have watched, but um, the movie Predator, uh, there was a scene where they, they saw the predator in the, in the jungle and the guy got scared and he had a minigun and he literally unloaded it. And, and they all trusted him. They thought, okay, if he's that scared of, from, of about something, then, then we're all going to shoot too. So they all shot into this jungle landscape. Uh, massive weaponry. You know, it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, so lots of explosions. Uh, <laughs> they cleared the jungle. And the minigun would do that by itself. I mean, you could take down uh, a, a thicket with the minigun. It shoots so many rounds per, per minute, per second. I, I don't know what, 6,000 rounds per minute. That's, is that 100 rounds per second? Is that right? That's a lot, right? You don't take that rabbit hunting, okay? Um, cute, fluffy bunnies, right, that taste so good, fried. Uh, my, my, uh, my grandfather, that was, when we went to visit, he made us usually one of two things. It was pancakes. Uh, if any of you have had my pancakes, that's where I learned to make them, was my grandfather. Or he made fried rabbit. If he had one in the freezer, uh, that he would fry a rabbit for us with rice and gravy and biscuits. And if you've had my biscuits, they're my grandfather's biscuits. So, that's, that's too much tool, Right? That, that's not going to work. Uh, you might hit the rabbit 150 times uh, with, you know, some pretty big cartridges. You're not going to have le much left to fry. Well, this is a slingshot. The same grandfather, he didn't make me a slingshot like that, but I got my first and only slingshot that he made for me. And I, I, was, I tried to think about where it was, if I could come up with it, and I, I don't know where it is. I'm sure I've got it somewhere in a box, and I wanted to bring it. Didn't look like that because he, made, he didn't make his out of sticks. He made it out of a carved wood or, or maybe he, he bought it. I'm not sure. But my first one came to him. It's a great tool for rabbit hunting. I, I, there's a, a video on uh, YouTube. Uh, well, Facebook's where I saw it. And there's this older gentleman who ha shoots a slingshot like most people will shoot a rifle. I mean, he knocks things out of the air. 
it just with a slingshot. He could kill squirrels. My grandfather, I never saw him do it, but he claimed he could kill squirrels with his slingshot. You could, if you get close enough to the rabbit, you sneak up, you can kill things with a slingshot. You know, David wasn't a slingshot. It was a sling. It was a little different tool, but he killed a giant with one. So they're, they're, they can be uh, formidable weapons, but not if you're chasing hippos. Right? I mean, hippos, that is, the hippopotamus, if I asked you what's the most dangerous creature in Africa, you might say a lion or something like that. But the, the large animal that causes the most deaths in Africa is the hippopotamus, not the lion. Lion kills very few. The hippo kills a lot more people. Now, the, actually, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the mosquito, but that didn't work for my, uh, my illustration. Um, so I had to have something bigger. But you don't chase a hippo. Now, maybe a minigun would be a little bit overkill with a hippo, but you've got to use a big gun. You use the elephant gun, the biggest round you can get to chase down a hippo. Tools matter, right? What you're doing, what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish, is it's important to have the proper tool to accomplish that. The sufficiency of Christ. Um, you not only want the right tool, but you want the right person. It, I, I'm not that good of a shot with a slingshot. I'm a pretty good shot with a rifle. I'm okay there. Slingshot, no. You want that guy on, on YouTube uh, from, I want to say he was in I'm pretty sure it was Texas. I think it was somewhere around here. I think it was one of those Texas PBS shows that he was on uh, at the time. But you want the right guy with the right qualifications, the right expertise. You don't want me uh, replacing your transmission in your car. I mean, I can do your brakes. I can change your oil. Uh, I can do a few things. I, I, as a matter of fact, I, if you give me instructions, I'm okay. But I'm just, I'm just not the guy that you want to do that. You want to take that to somebody with the expertise, the training, the, the, uh, the qualifications to do it. Jesus was that person. He was the right, if I can be a little, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but maybe a little bit. He was the right tool for the job. He was the right person with the right qualifications, the right expertise for the job of saving humanity. He was sufficient. Well, why was he sufficient? We're going to look at that this morning. But Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 give us the indication, the picture of him being sufficient. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, He, actually referring to God at this point, God made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in, trans, uh, in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Together with Jesus Christ, He also, He, God, also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Now, let's look at this passage for just a little bit. We need to remember that as we go through gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, that God is completely other. God's character, we talked about two Sundays ago. He is completely other than us. Not just opposite, but different. He is beyond our comprehension, completely beyond what we are. Then last week, we talked about the offense of sin, and we need to remember that sin is deadly. Sin is God's enemy. Sin is deserving of wrath. 
And if all those things are true, God is completely other. He is sinless. He is apart from us in that sense, even though, yes, we, he, he's with us as Christians. But he is different and apart from us. And our sin is what separates us, is what uh, we found out last week, kills us, makes us God's enemy, makes us deserving of his wrath, as Ephesians 2, uh, 3, and first part of 5 say, then... There needs to be the right tool for the job of fixing that, right? There needs to be the, the right person for the job with the expertise or the, or the qualifications in order to bridge this gap. A perfect solution is needed. This passage in Ephesians 2 tells us what Jesus does, okay? What Jesus does now, for us when we trust him. We see in verse 5, he made us alive with the Messiah. He, he removed sin's death sentence. That's what Jesus did. By dying in my place, he took my death sentence. By, I, I have died. The Bible says I have died with Christ because he died for me. He took my punishment. He took my sentence of death and said, that's for me. Now, how did he do that? Well, don't get ahead of me. But he removed sin's death sentence in verse 5. Paul goes on. He's, he's writing this theological statement here. He's, he's explaining what Jesus does. We were dead in sins. We were uh, uh, subjects to God's wrath. We are God's enemy because of our sin. God is completely other. God is holy. Uh, God is set apart from us. And, and we are fixed. That issue is fixed through Jesus is what Paul's saying. But then right here in the middle, at the end of verse 5, Paul can't help himself. He says, God made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. And it's, it's not dry and stodgy, but it's, it's theology. He's explaining something. But right here in the middle, he just, you are saved by grace. He just can't help it. He can't help but put that in there so that people understand, y'all, you are dead in sins. Jesus made you alive. You're not dead anymore. You are God's enemy. Jesus fixed that. You're no longer God's enemy. You are saved by grace. That is something worth shouting about. Exclamation point. There should be an exclamation point at the end of that passage in your Bible. If not, write it in for me. You are saved by grace. Jesus removed sin's death sentence. He saved us. Saved us from death. Saved us from, in a very real sense, God. God's wrath was poured out on us. And Jesus saves us from that. Rescues us from that. I think we lose the, the power of that word saved. We almost want it to be more of a, I don't know, a served us somehow. We, we went to the store and it was, hmm, do I get the, the whole milk or the 2%? Do I get Apple Jacks or Fruit Loops? Do I get uh, wheat bread or white bread? Okay, I'll choose this one. I'll choose white bread. I'll choose Apple Jacks. I'll choose whole milk, of course. Uh, I, this is what I'll get. We went to the store, and it's like, hmm, do I go to hell or do I get Jesus? <sighs> 
Jesus, that, that sounds better. You know, that, that's, that's what I think that, that's our attitude a lot of times. That's, that's how used to our salvation we get. And Paul doesn't want that. He exclaims, you are saved by grace. Dying, dead, condemned, wrath receiving. And Jesus did something about that. He goes on in verse 6. You are saved by grace. And Paul says in verse 6, Together with Christ Jesus, God raised us up. This is resurrection. In, in, in the past, when Jesus rose from the dead, we who will trust Him as our Savior, we who will become Christians, those someday in the future who will become Christians, are already raised with Him. The, the tense of the verb there is a little uncommon for Paul. He, he talks a lot about uh, being raised. Currently, he talks a lot about being raised in the future. But rarely does he say it in the past. But now Paul is saying in Ephesians, you were raised. At that point, you were already saved. Jesus, when He died, when He rose from the dead, God looked forward and knew every one of us that would follow Him as our Savior. And at that point, we were all raised. It was a done deal. That doesn't mean that, that we were robots or puppets and we were forced into our decision. It just means that knowing what would happen, seeing in the future who would follow Him, those who would, it's done. It's, it is that much of a promise. It is that much of a sealed deal that, they, that Paul can say, when Jesus rose from the grave, we all rose with Him before we were ever born. Now, I don't want to get too you know, mystical about that and say, oh, you know, our spirits exi existed and all that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about it is a promise that will come true for everyone who trusts Jesus as their Savior they already have their resurrection. Verse 6, he goes on to say, He raised us up. He seated us in the heavens. This is adoption. He adopted us. He provided that adoption back then. Not only were we raised, but at that point, we became co-heirs with Jesus. We're not equal to Jesus. He will always be both completely human and completely other like God is. And I can't explain to you how those two things work, but He's both of those without any seam between them. They didn't come together. They didn't knit together. It's, it's not He's one thing today. He's another thing tomorrow. He wasn't a human that was born and Jesus came, I mean, God came down on Him and kind of filled Him or something like the Holy Spirit fills us. It is something that He has always been. He is completely man. He is completely God. And we get to sit next to Him, seated in the heavens, because we become co-heirs. We become Jesus' brother in a very real adopted sense. Jace and Janie Marie are Jamie and Jaden's brother and sister, and, and they are their brothers. Doesn't matter that biologically they're not related. Once they were adopted, as I've told you before, the, 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 the birth certificate changes. 
It's as if Etta and I were there at their birth. It is as if God was always our, or Jesus was always, rather, our Savior. God was always our Father. When we are adopted by Him, the entire past is wiped away. The entire future is taken care of. We are His, and we will always be His, and it's just like we've always been His. That's why we need to stop living in our past sins and move on. Those things are done away with. I'm not what I was. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. I've got a new birth certificate. It used to say, child of sinful nature, and now it says, child of God. And all the way back to my physical birth, from there on, everything's been taken care of. That is the adoption that we see. That's what Jesus does. Now, how does he do that? Well, there are a couple of things we can look at and see. I'm not going to answer all of your questions because I don't know what goes on in the spiritual realm exactly to change us when we trust Christ. But I know two things, as I've already hinted at. One, Jesus is able to do it because he is fully human. He was fully human. He lived a human life. He was born. He uh, grew up. He had to eat. He had to drink. He cried when he messed his diaper or whatever they had back then. Uh, he, he fussed when he was hungry. Probably fussed when they put him down for his nap and at bedtime. He... he became a toddler. He probably got into stuff. Joseph says, Jesus, put the hammer down. You know, that, that that's what would go on in my house. Um, he, he became uh, uh, elementary, whatever their elementary was. He, he became a teenager. At 12 years old, we're told he grew in wisdom and stature. He, he got bigger. He got smarter. He got to know people. He matured, Luke tells us. He became an adult. He was hungry. He, thirst, he, he was thirsty. He got tired. He got hurt. He got crucified. He felt the pain. He was fully human. The difference is he never sinned in all of that. He lived a perfect life. When he stubbed his toe, he didn't cuss. When he was uh, angry, he didn't sin in his anger. He didn't look on women to lust after them. He had all those parts of him, but he didn't do all those things with them that we do. He was fully human. He was perfect. And in his fully human state, he represents the condemned. He represents us. You see, if, if God had somehow wiped away our sins, it, it, it would have been nice and we'd have been appreciative, right? But there would have been something missing. Where would the punishment have been? Where would the, the representative of us been? In the Old Testament, the representative was, of us was a lamb. Your family took a lamb and sacrificed it every year, and that was your, your, the payment for your sins. Now, that lamb represented us, but it, was, it, it wasn't complete, was it? It was a lamb. We're humans. We have to do it every year. If you want to see a great picture of this, 
read uh, Hebrews. You got to read it a couple of times, but go back and read Hebrews, especially the first, I think it's mm, six-ish chapters, and it talks about this. And it talks about how the, the lamb was incomplete and imperfect, and the priests were incomplete and imperfect. But then we had someone who came along who was both lamb, figuratively, and priest. He did both of them. He was the sacrifice, and he was also the one officiating over the sacrifice. But he was representing us. A human had to die. And a human did. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. That matters because you might can die for me, but you can't die for everybody. What do, you, what do I mean? You might could go to uh, court. Let's say I committed uh, a capital crime. And I'm going to be executed for it. And you could stand up, or even, even the judge, let's, let's, let's go that way. The judge could say, okay, this is your sentence, your sentence is death, but I'm going to take the punishment for you. That's great. I, I appreciate that. But how many times can he die? Once. He can take my punishment. But what about everybody else? God or, by or Jesus, rather, by becoming human, the Son, by becoming human, had an infinite ability to forgive, an infinite uh, uh, reach to His forgiveness. God, who was perfect, Jesus, who was perfect, died the, 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 the death that you deserve. But he was perfect, and he was God. So there's enough there left for the sins that I commit to die for my death, or die in place of my death. But there's, there's enough still for the next person. And he's, he's God, so there's, there's enough for the next person. And I know this is, you're, you're going, wait, what? Because he was God... There was no limit to his perfection. Therefore, there was no limit to the payment that his death provided. You kill one man, it's worth one life. But you kill God in the flesh, the creator of everything, then it is worth every life. That's why he had to be God. And in this case, or in, in his divinity... Or let me say, in his humanity, he represented the condemned. In his divinity, he represents the court. So it was the judge coming off the seat and dying, but it was dying for everyone because at judgment with God, it is not just you or me, it is humanity that is judged. And the judge who is God, the infinite judge, sent his son who was fully God and said, he will take the place in this courtroom of the condemned, but also of the court. So because he was fully human and because he was fully God, he could die for us, for everyone. That's how he does it. That's why it's important that we believe in the full humanity and full, human, uh, full divinity of Jesus. If, if he's not fully human, then he doesn't relate 
His, his perfection doesn't matter. His living according to the law, well, it doesn't count because he wasn't human. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't have sinned. And that's a whole big discussion right there to have some other time. But if he were human and not God, well, then one man dying, one human dying, that doesn't cover humanity's sin. But if God in the flesh dies, that does. So that's how Jesus does it. Fully God and fully human. Now what went on at the cross? And I think I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it until we get to the one uh, that, that we need to understand. But the what Jesus did. So we've talked about what Jesus does when we accept Christ. He removes our death sentence. He saves us. He resurrects us. He provides adoption. We look at how Jesus does it. He does it because he's fully human. He represents the condemned. He does it because he's fully God. He represents the court. Then what Jesus did. Well, there are some wrong things. And in each of these wrong things, there's a hint of truth. Usually we believe lies why? Because they could be true. That's what I see people all the time that, that put things on, on Facebook that, that are not true. They're easily debunked. I mean, just one little search. Did so-and-so say this? No, 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 no. Easily debunked, but then when you confront them and say, oh, that's not, that's not true, that didn't happen. Well, it's something he could have said. You're still lying. I mean, that's still not true. Why do we believe it? Because it's something he could have said, right? It's something that could have happened. It's, it, there's enough truth there. In these insufficient views, there are true parts, but it's not enough. It's not sufficient to cover us. Uh, one view is that he defeated or he paid off Satan. We've heard uh, our ransom is paid. A lot of our hymns talk about our ransom being paid. That is very true. That did happen. But more happened than just the defeat of Satan at the cross. Satan was defeated. Our ransom was paid. But more than that happened. Uh, there's one view that says that Jesus' death satisfied God's honor. God is offended by our sin. Well, he is. We talked about that last week. Our sin is offensive. And it, it's, it's almost like God says, your sin has offended me. Someone must die. Jesus says, I'll die. Okay, everything's fine now. I mean, that, that's almost the transaction that takes place. And it's, not, it, it's more than that. Is God offended? Sure. Is his honor offended? Yes. Does Jesus' death and, and our trust satisfy that? Sure, but there's more to it. Some would say that, that God's love changes us. Well, well, God's love does change us. And, and we look at the cross and we say, wow, see how much God loves us? Well, I'm going to love God now. And, and that's what we mean, that's what this view means by God's love changes us. The cross proves God's love to us. Well, that's very biblical. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this, God proved his love for us. So yeah, God does love us, but it's not just we see the cross and that's how much God loves us. I'm going to be a better person. More to it than that. Jesus' actions change us. That's a view. What Jesus did on the cross, that is impressive. And because he did that, well, I'm going to be like him. 
He was, he was a good guy, willing to die when, his, when God told him to. That is super nice. I'm going to be that nice too and die for somebody. Jesus' actions do change us. Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. We are told to model Christ. We're told to be like Jesus. Well, sure, Jesus' actions change us, but it's not just we see the act and we change. Jesus fulfilled the law. At the cross, Jesus was just doing what had to be done because somebody had to be punished. Well, again, yes. But it's more than that. This view would say that because Jesus died, everybody's okay. This is how we can quickly get into universalism. Everybody's saved. Because what Jesus did fixes the problem. It fixes the broken law. And it does, but it does it for you and me. What Jesus really did, and we're going to look at it piece by piece, what Jesus did was he lived as a perfect human, right? Perfectly human. And he was a perfect human. He was condemned as guilty. That's the, the penal part of it. The, the law part of it. He was condemned as guilty. In the courtroom with Pilate. We saw a picture of it. Uh, we see a picture of it in the Easter, uh, the Easter accounts. Pilate stands there and says he's guilty. By, by his actions, by, by condemning him, he is, guilt is put on him. Right? Nod with me. Some of you are thinking, wait, Pilate said he wasn't guilty. Hold on. I know that. But he still went to the cross, right? He was still condemned, right? He was condemned as if he was guilty. We see a, an earthly picture of what was going on in heaven. In heaven, he was condemned as guilty. But then Pilate said... I find no fault in this man. There's no, he hasn't done anything deserving of death. An earthly picture of what was going on in heaven because he was innocent. And in that sense, he was a substitute. Now, this view, and I've told you this before, is called the penal substitutionary view of the atonement, at one minute. Right? Atonement, that's a word we use in church fairly often. It made us at one with God. Atonement, at one minute. This is that view, that penal substitutionary view. Jesus was innocent, but he was there for us. He was sufficient, right? He was human, fully, but perfect. He was God, fully, so infinite in the reach of the forgiveness he was sufficient. And then, what did he do? He took our guilt. There's, there's that, that efficient part, uh, or uh, the uh, infinite in an extent. He took our guilt. Because he was divine, he could not only take my guilt, but he could take everyone's guilt who is here. God only was able to do that. Like I said, I might could take the guilt for one of you, or you could take the guilt, one of you could take the guilt for me. But it would not be enough for you to take the guilt for everyone in here. You run out. And because he was perfect and took the guilt, the, 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 the sentence didn't stick, did it? Once... 
once he substitutes himself and, 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 and the, the cosmic, the, the spiritual realm sees he's perfect, he's God, the devil should have known, right? I, mean, I, I, I envision the devil rejoicing at the cross and thinking he had won. He thought he was going to win at, at the temptation in the wilderness. If I can just get him to you know, take these steps, then I'll win. At the cross, he thought he, was, he thought he had won, I believe. He knows the Bible better than you and I. But I think he, he gets blinded. He ignores it sometimes. Well, no, no, this time I'm going I'm, I'm to thwart it this time. At the resurrection... That should not have surprised the devil. How are you going to kill God? God in the flesh. Infinite divinity wrapped up in perfect humanity. How are you going to kill that, devil? But he thought he could. While on the cross, while Jesus was taking our guilt, he also took God's wrath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A lot of different views and understandings of that, but I think the best understanding is not that God was in any way separated from him because, remember, Jesus is fully divine. There is no way for a, a, a permanent separation. Now, I have talked about before how Jesus set aside the free use of his divine attributes while he was on earth. So there were things that when, when Jesus turns and says to the crowd after the woman comes up and touches his, the hem of his cloak and uh, is healed, he turns around and says, who touched me? I think he could ask that completely honestly, not knowing who touched him because he had set aside the divine attributes and God had not yet revealed to him purposefully had not yet revealed to him who was there, uh, who had touched him. But then on the other hand, he could heal the, uh, the, the crippled man. Actually, first he could forgive the crippled man that had been let down through the roof of the house. And when he forgives him, he knew that the people standing around were saying, how does this man forgive sinners? Who is he? He knows their thoughts and says, I know what you're thinking. How does he forgive sins? Well, what's easier, to forgive sins or to heal somebody? Get up and walk. See, I can do both. So, he was, he was only constrained as God by his own determination to constrain himself. So, on the cross, while his divinity was self-constrained, he took God's wrath. He felt on the cross the full brunt of what every person who would accept him as Savior should have felt. He took not only my punishment, but yours, everyone here who has trusted Christ, everyone in the next church over who has trusted Christ, everyone who has ever lived. In that moment, he felt the full weight of God's wrath. My surprise is that all he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was taking it all at that moment. But then, 
as he died, and they take him down, or he, he dies, they take him down, the devil celebrates, the disciples weep, the Jews go, that's over. And everybody moves on to their, their Sabbath day of rest on Saturday. Sunday morning, Jesus kills death. If he had stayed in the grave, what does the cross mean? It means nothing. But when he rose, he told us, he showed us, I have defeated the one thing you are most scared of. I told you I defeated sin. I told you I could forgive. I told you I had done all these things, but you would have never believed me if I had stayed in the ground. And we wouldn't have. Where was the proof? I mean, you did some great things, but, but then you died. Well, he did die, but then he rose. Jesus killed death. He was sufficient he was sufficient then. He is just as sufficient for you now. See, we need to understand, you need to understand today, you are not too far gone. Jesus is sufficient for wherever you are in life. Your life isn't too broken Jesus is sufficient for whatever problems you have, whatever pains in life you have, whatever outside influences are just attacking you, Jesus is sufficient for where you are right now. Your sins are not too heinous for Jesus. You realize there is nothing you can do to keep him from saving you if you'll just trust him. There is no sin he cannot forgive. The only sin he won't forgive is the sin of rejecting him up until your death. That's the one thing he will not forgive. Because you've had your shot. But there is nothing else you can do in this life that he says, nope, sorry, that's too much. Your guilt isn't too great. It doesn't matter how many times you've committed those sins. It doesn't matter how horrible you know you are because of your sins. Your guilt is not too great. And if you are hearing my voice right now, hearing the gospel, hearing the sufficiency of Christ, then it's not too late for you. You haven't lost all your chances. Today is your chance whether you're here in this room listening, whether someday down the road you're listening on the video, this is your chance because you are hearing today. Your chances are not gone. Jesus is sufficient for you. He is ready to save you. He is ready for you to run to His arms Understanding that as Romans tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But even back when you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. Your wages 
Your payment for sin is death. Your payment is God's wrath. But the gift of God, the free gift for you, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it has been that way since the day you were born. Since the day you first sinned. The day you first chose yourself over God. Ever since that day, Jesus has been waiting on you. And now he waits again. For you to call on his name. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. All you have to do is ask him. All you have to do is trust him. And we pray to solidify that. To put words to what's going on in our heart. We confess through prayer with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believing in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. That is the gospel. That is God uh, offended. God's character. He is other. But sin offends. And that is our sin. But Christ is sufficient. And you must personally respond. Will you do that today? Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you have entrusted to us the gospel to share, to, to, to give Lord, and, and, and by which to be saved. But I pray this morning, Lord, if there's somebody here who has not trusted you as Savior, someone listening, watching online, that has not trusted you as Savior, that today they will go back. Look at those verses on the screen again. Know that they are a sinner. Know that they deserve death because of it. But that Jesus is their way out. Jesus is their sufficient, grace-filled gift to overcome sin. And this morning they will put their trust in you. And they'll pray something like, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't do anything to save myself. I deserve death, but Jesus, you have offered a gift of salvation to take away my sin, to clean the record, past and future, and provide an eternity in heaven with you. Lord, I trust that this morning. I want to be that. I want that for my life. Lord Jesus, save me. Transform my life. If that's your wish this morning, he'll do it. God, work on hearts today as we come to a time of response. Speak to us and do great things among us. Lord, thank you for offering your son sufficient to the task to save us when we in no way deserved it. Lord, we love you. We thank you this morning. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is your response this morning? Do you need to accept Christ? How does your life need to transform? Have you accepted Christ and you need to follow in baptism? Maybe you need to conform your life to Christ. Maybe you need to step up and be used by Him. Maybe it's no longer time to sit on the sidelines, but time to be a part of what God's doing. We're going to sing a song. 
This is your time of response. If you'd like me to pray with you, I will. If you'd like to just come to this altar and pray alone, that's great too. But this morning, you do business with God as we stand and sing.